I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody. Welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that's first in gentlemanly club life. I'm your host, Hideout Book author Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today. Uh, I'm Henry Gilbert, and I love sucking down the cider. <laughs> and who is who is on the line? I'm Merritt Kay, and I got too many grandmas. <laughs> who doesn't? And this episode today is Burns, Baby Burns. It doesn't take a nuclear scientist to pronounce foliage. <laughs> Today's episode aired on November 17th, 1996, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh, my God! Oh, boy, Bobby. A 2.5 million-year-old fossil of a human ancestor is found in Ethiopia. Everybody got up to slam down at Space Jam, debuting number one in the theaters, <laughs> and Laura Croft goes on her first adventure <laughs> as Tomb Raider hits the PlayStation and Saturn in North America. Uh, the first annual Space Jam. Well, what a blessed day. <laughs> and we finally got to see Toons dunking. Uh, that commercial finally turned into a full motion film. This was the week of Toons and Tombs. Yes, Toons. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Tomb Raider is still huge. It's gone through some lows, but now it's sort of at a high point since the 2013 reboot. I mean, nobody cared about that recent movie, no. and no one should have cared about it, but I think the games are still pretty good. Yeah, you know, that movie should have starred Daisy Ridley, and I feel like since they couldn't get here, they should have just not done it. Yeah, and I forget, one of our friends saw it. Maybe it was Gary. I forget who it was, but they uh, the teaser, the Infinity Gem teaser is Lara Croft. Sorry, Lara Croft. It's not Lara Croft, everybody. Listen I've to me. many British it people. Is Laura. Laura's a real name, and that's her name. It's not Laura. Even the games get that wrong. But anyways, the the teaser infinity the teaser infinity gem scene in that Tomb Raider movie is her picking up the dual pistols. That is so lame. I can't wait to see that in the sequel. She might shoot one of them. No, no. In, in the sequel, the teaser scene is her finding the bullets for the uh. gun, and then <laughs> she's got to build the gun over five movies. Everybody, it's going to be fine. That's a long form storytelling. It is. Uh, uh, but our special guest, Merritt, uh, can you tell us who you are? You do so much for the internet, and I think our listeners need to hear all about it. Oh well, the internet does so much for me too. <laughs> so I like to give back. Yeah, I'm a, a writer. I have a regular column for Mel Magazine, which is a men's magazine, and I write an advice column there. And I write, you know here and there, wherever. And I have a long-running podcast called Woodland Secrets, which is just kind of a talk show where I have all kinds of people on, artists, writers, activists. And I did have, well, I still do have, but I have a podcast called Dad Feelings, which has now uh, reached the end of its run. But you two were both on that a while ago when we talked about Homer Simpson. That's right. I think it was over a year ago now. But It uh, was a minute, yeah. yeah. That was such a fun time, and I'm glad we could have you back on a very fatherly episode of The Simpsons as well. I I really love your, uh, your advice columns, too. You did, I believe one was called Wash Your Dick, which was a very important <laughs> article. <laughs> I didn't know men needed to know that, but I guess uh, I don't... You'd I don't. Be surprised, yeah. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, animation-wise, you've been doing these pretty cool articles for VRV. I really liked your one on uh, the history of Candlejack as an internet meme. Yeah. I should so have said that. It. I'm going to go away now. <laughs> I've been doing a weekly thing for Verve as well. And um, it's funny because I don't know that much about anime, but I will sometimes dive into a bit. I do the sort of recurring segment where 
I asked Twitter to choose an anime for me, and then I watched like three episodes of it, and I'm like, wow, that was what was I? I was expected a talking dog, but there was just a very hairy man in this show. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of fun. Can you name any of the anime you were uh, forced to watch for this project? I haven't actually seen yeah. these articles. Yeah. So uh, the first one was Sword Art Online. Oh. Which is kind of a, if you die in the game, you die in real life. And uh, all I knew about that one was a kind of unfortunate chapter that was cut out of the original novel by the author, uh, which I don't want to get into okay. here. <laughs> Search chapter 13.5 if if you're curious. Um, and then I did Lupin the Third as oh, well, nice. which was really great that I've been watching um, the most current season of that show and I love it and then I most recently did Hunter Hunter and all I knew about that show going in is that you don't pronounce the X I was scolded in public for pronouncing the X about a month ago so uh, I, I, I know your pain <laughs> But yeah, let's get into the episode, everybody. Oh, oh. Well, I did want to know, oh. like, uh, Merritt, like, what's your personal history with The Simpsons? Like, when when were you a viewer of yeah, it? Like, what yeah. was your first episode? God, my first episode uh, is hard to recall. I do know that as a child, I think The Simpsons was off limits for a while. Mm. Um, so I remember The Simpsons for a while was in the same category as wrestling in South Park. Hmm. Definitely, you know, definitely South Park was off limits way, way into my my uh, teenhood when I would stay up really late to watch it on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the earliest episode of The Simpsons I remember, and I was, you know, when I was looking up the episodes to watch this one, I realized this is the first ever episode of the show, which seems really strange to me. It's the one where it's the, Chris, the Christmas episode where Bart spends money on getting a tattoo mm-hmm. or like gets a tattoo oh, and then wow. they have to spend all their money to get it lasered off. But you, the, in reruns, that was still the first one you saw? That's I think so. Wow. It's like That's the serendipity. one that I most imprinted on, I think. We've had uh, quite a few guests who weren't allowed to watch the show. And as someone who grew up with A, permissive parents, but B, per, uh, parents who worked way too much, I find that just uh, <laughs> a, a great injustice. <laughs> well, You're, definitely I did reach a point where, um, you know, it was on every Sunday night on Fox and, you know, my, my dad, my sister and I would sit down and we would watch whatever else we would watch, like undeclared, whatever other shows for airing at the time. And we would watch the Simpsons. So I would say from about 1996 to 2005, I think I was seeing it every week. Mm. Wow. You know, you're mentioning of uh, wrestling not being allowed to. That's another of my favorite Dad Feelings episodes is the Vince McMahon one of yours. <laughs> I want to tell listeners, check that one out. I love that one. That dad can beat up your dad <laughs> in every case. Yeah, legally and physically. <laughs> so I want to get into the episode. But first, we have a, a new writer alert, a new writer alert. And guess I what, friends? I for that. We, we need some sort of theme. We'll come up with it. There'll be several new writers in the future. The Harvard anthems. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, this Actually, is... No. Yeah, he's not a Harvard Lampoon guy. He went to Brown. Not Brown. Not Brown. So I, I think all of the Brown bashing in the show is because of uh, Ian Maxtone Graham being the oh, one. Interesting. He was college educated, but at the wrong Ivy League college. Mm-hmm. So tisk tisk <laughs> on Ian Maxtone Graham. Um, he's also the very tall man that we see in 22 short films about Springfield. He does not what? sound. Yeah. He's modeled after Ian Maxtone Graham. Ian Maxtone Graham does not sound like Tippy Turtle. Mm-hmm. He's more of a uh, New Englander, but uh, he is six foot eight yes yeah he worked on saturday night live before this he was friend he's uh, lots of people in the 
comedy writing field know of him. I mean, he, I recall on the Clerks animated series, they put an in joke about Ian Maxton Graham in there that makes no sense yeah. if you don't know who he is, which who does? You would have had to work with him, I guess. Yeah. But he, uh, along with a, a lot of other Simpsons writers, wrote for not necessarily the news, which was sort of HBO's weekend update show in the 80s. So I believe Al Jean and Mike Reese. Uh, Conan O'Brien, Greg Daniels, um, Ian. Uh, is there anyone else I'm missing? There were so many Simpsons writers on that show. And also, he worked for the, uh, quote-unquote, worked for the Zine Army Man with people like George Meyer, John Swartzwalder. It's basically where a lot of the Simpsons writing talent was assembled at first. Sam Simon just, like, was a subscriber and said, I want to hire those guys. Yes. And uh, from Army Man, he went to SNL. Uh, the famous writer Jack Handy, you know him from Deep Thoughts and so many SNL sketches. He hired um, Ian to write for SNL from 92 to 95, and Ian is, uh, I guess, notoriously, but no one really knows this, he's the creator of the famous Canteen Boy sketches in which uh, Alec Baldwin uh, tries, to dis- tries to seduce uh, Adam Sandler, uh, a Boy who's, Scout. Who's playing an underage Boy yes, Scout. Yes, yes. Uh, and there were, uh, I believe, several of those uh, unsavory sketches. But it seemed funny 25 <laughs> years ago. Sure. And uh, he also co-wrote... <laughs> to some people. He also co-wrote the Hanukkah song, and I have to wonder okay. if he makes any Hanukkah song bucks from that. Just rich off of that. They made a Hanukkah song movie. Is, there's really a movie. Oh, 12, uh, yeah, eight crazy yeah. nights. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think he must have signed something to get, uh, get the rights removed from him. Um, so another SNL story about him. Believe me, uh, yes. there's a lot going on with Ian Maxstone Graham. Uh, Ian Maxstone Graham uh, was, he was described as a fervent anti-smoking zealot by some journalists who probably had a pro-smoking agenda. But while working in the writers' room at SNL, Norm Macdonald was a chain smoker. And he refused to not smoke. And one day, Ian Max Stonegram either sprayed him with a squirt gun or a cup of water. Uh, the the stories differ depending on who mm-hmm. tells it. But the the real truth of the story is Norm Macdonald punched him in the face, <laughs> and Ian Max Stonegram almost left the show and almost sued uh, Norm Macdonald. But that never happened. Even ultimately, in the case there. I mean. I guess he went first by spraying him with water, that, but still, like, throwing a punch, that, that could have seriously injured him. Apparently, he was fine after getting punched, but the uh, I had heard about that from the Jay Moore book. Yeah. Which Jay Moore, the only interesting thing he ever did on SNL was write a sto- book about his year on SNL being unhappy. And how he stole someone else's bit to write a sketch yeah. that aired. It's, yeah. a, it's a great <laughs> book for a, not a great comedian, I feel, but uh, don't beat me up, Jay Moore. But it's funny that Norm MacDonald threw a punch at Ian Maxstone Graham because he he is a triathlete. He's a strapping, huge man. I'd be afraid mm-hmm. to go near him. <laughs> That's true. Well, meanwhile, Norm MacDonald, like, he wrote himself as an easy-to-beat-up guy yeah. in multiple things. So it's it's surprising he did that. I do want to get to the last thing about him, and that is he bristled against the Simpsons community thanks to a 1998 interview where he comes off as sort of the anti-Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein, where Bill and Josh were huge fans of the show. They loved the fan base. They wanted to do things to make the fans happy. Their shows were full of fan service and tributes to lore of the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Ian didn't care, and I have a quote from the article. Max Stone Graham knows such carelessness drives, quote, the beetle-browed people on the internet, unquote, to distraction. And this is Ian Maxstone Graham's quote after that. They seem to have no life except the Simpsons, he complains. They see everything as part of a vast plan, but boy, is there ever no vast plan. Uh, and this is the article speaking. The fans took particular exception to A Star is Burns, in which Jay Sherman from The Critic goes to judge a film festival in Springfield. And Ian says, I love that one, but they thought it broke reality or something. Go figure. That's why they're on the internet and we're writing the show. <laughs> this, this was early. I love that. He's so snarky, but this is early in the days where writers were not used to getting 
like direct feedback via the internet. Right. This is a very new thing, and this is a, this is a writer like dealing with that for the first time publicly, for one of the first times publicly. I mean, you can see how that would piss off the very online Simpsons fans of 1998. I know I hated him because of that. Yeah, but uh, though I, that's all I remembered from that article. But then when I reread it, it was oh, also there's, there's has, worse stuff in there too. He, uh, it's with a, a woman who wrote it, Claudette O'Sullivan, who she makes a point of asking him about how there are currently at the time they were writing that no women on staff on the simpsons in 1998 uh he has a very uh poorly aged defense of it back then he said quote the dominant characters tend to be male bart and homer occupy a lot of the real estate and a lot of that humor is kind of guy's humor he also says in quotes we make awful scatological sexual jokes it's not like we sit around the table with our dicks out but having a woman in the room i think it changes the tenor Boy, just say women are buzzkills, guy. Come on. Yeah, I don't live that as much, though. Yeah. Becoming a complex figure now. <laughs> Ian Maxton Graham was hardly alone in saying that about writer's room back then. Pretty much that was the way many men thought of, like, no, you can't have a, you have a woman in the writer's room. We can't tell gross jokes. It'll ruin comedy. I think even adult swim head honcho Mike Lazo said basically the same thing. Like uh, five years ago. Yeah, and that's, that's like, he's like, that's why we don't have sh- women running shows or women in writer's rooms, because they, they ruin all the fun mm-hmm. yeah they're gonna be menstruating everywhere i know it's just real, cle- real disaster the cleanup alone is distracting yeah. uh, i had forgotten those parts were of it uh, in the interview too but the in in the abstract i do agree with the idea of like they shouldn't write the show for the geeks on the internet which includes me and always has yeah. uh but maybe no purposely try to piss them off yeah don't don't intentionally antagonize people probably yeah i mean but he was right about me in 1998 i really had no life outside of the simpsons and (laughs) that's true even today but uh your beetle brows you don't have beetle brows anymore i I got rid of my beetle brows (laughs) um well also ian maxton graham is the man who killed mott flanders Mm. he he Mm. wrote the alone again natural diddly episode and i believe it was skelly who said it was Graham's idea. Mm. Uh, you know what? I'll, I got to go back to our interview to be sure that Scully said that. But it was just such a... It's such a heartless way they killed Maude Flanders. And it's just so... And you know it's Graham that is the credited writer of the episode because there's a joke that he has his name in bold, giant typeface at the start of oh, the episode. okay. Yeah, you're right. Oh, boy. So that'll be a three-hour episode when we get to it. It sure will be. And uh, <laughs> Ian has been on the show basically since then. I believe his last credited episode was uh, 2014, but I see him as a consulting producer as late as 2017. Mm-hmm. So he could just be like the Mike Reese come in a day a week kind of guy. Yeah, and he still has credited scripts, but like with a co-writer, which is kind of an interesting mm. situation there. I don't know. what is this an, an, an apprentice of his? Who knows? Yeah. He's an easy to hate figure. I, I blame him. I once blamed Mike Scully. I now blame him more for the downfall of The Simpsons, which is, you know, that's just being a predictable internet geek as well. But I still... still it's still hard to let go of this anger he and Max don't grab. But at least now he can afford a large automobile for his giant body. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, if you if you hate him, just know that being that tall means he's in hell every day. I'm That's only true. six one, and everything is too short for me, so I can't imagine the nightmare of being six eight in this world. Oh yeah, I've heard of that with the uh, the Ben at Giant Bomb. He who is also a very tall man. He says you can't 
meet anyone without them either gawking you and then, and then asking how tall you are. It's just like that's that's just all of the times you meet people. Yeah, I was staying with a friend in uh, Japan. I believe he's six seven or six six, possibly taller than that. But he t- he told me when I showed up, like you would not believe the amount of people that asked mm. me about my height and things like that. <laughs> and I and I witnessed one of those conversations. So one of the first things he learned to tell people was his shoe size in, in <laughs> Japanese because they always want to know. <laughs> uh, but this episode also is the Rodney Dangerfield. Field episode. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s, so Rodney Dangerfield was quite a, he was like a living cartoon character to me and then became a real cartoon character in Rover Dangerfield. I loved him. He was so funny. I, I know him best from Ladybugs. Oh, God. <laughs> the classic movie. But I believe, Merritt, uh, are you are you a Rodney fan? I am. I, um, I'm kind of glad that you asked me on for this episode because I feel like he's come up a lot on my show and I'm not really sure why. I think... <laughs> Earlier this year, I watched Caddyshack for the first time because growing up, that was a movie that my dad like wouldn't stop quoting. <laughs> um, he, he just kept saying, oh, Snickers bar. Like he would make that joke all the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Rodney Dangerfield is pretty big in that. He just has kind of a completely distinct plot from anyone else in that movie. I had seen this episode before I was really familiar with him. But, you know, I've tried to kind of dive into his oeuvre. And uh, I actually own Rappin' Rodney on record. Wow. Is there more than one song on the Rappin' Rodney album? (laughs) I need to know. I haven't actually listened to it yet. My roommate bought it for me uh, the other day, but I think the the one side is Rappin' Rodney and side two is like Rodney keeps rapping. <laughs> it's all the outtakes. Now, when, when you said Rappin' Rodney, I can see the cover of Rappin' Rodney in my head because I've seen it so many times. It's beautiful. It's yeah. him kind of holding a boombox, wearing these sort of goggleish glasses it's um, i think there's a bandana <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing because rodney rodney dangerfield got a late start in comedy like he was over 40 when he got his uh, really big break in comedy in like 1960 in the late 60s and the, so by the 80s he was a big deal still and he saw that i think somebody just told him like Hey, these raps are kind of like your one-liners. Like, I, you could just set this to a rap. It's a diss track, but you're dissing yourself. Yes, yeah. Actually, why, why don't we listen to a little rap oh, and yeah. rap in here? Please. Dig in. Loading up. Dr. Vinny Boombot, that's another one. No respect. No respect. I said I want to stop aging. He gave me a gun. No respect. No respect. I told him I got water on the knee. He gave me a sponge and raised his fee. What's the matter, Rodney? Oh, it ain't easy being me. I love the incongruity between like borscht belt jokes about bad doctors and then 80s rap. It's it's a great it makes for a great pairing. And I'd like to point out that the plot of this music video is that he's on trial. He gets convicted. He goes to jail, gets the electric chair, oh and then God. goes to heaven. And then I think St. Peter like doesn't let him in. Yes. he. For some reason, there's a twin of him in heaven who walks in carrying a boombox. But it's <laughs> it's such a weird music video that it starts with his trial, then him going to jail and being read his last rites, and then uh, actually being executed by Pat Benatar. Oh, boy. Yeah. Sign, sign me up, frankly. <laughs> and then going to heaven, which... It's so it's so odd, but I I like that too. Like so many, we have too many comedians now. I'm not going to name names, but who just want to be cool. They're like, oh, I'm the cool, I'm a cool guy. I'm, and 
Rodney Dangerfield, no matter how famous he got, he's like, I'm not a cool guy. I suck. Like, yeah. uh, I'm fat. I'm ugly. I, I'm unsuccessful. No one. I don't have sex. Like, and towards the end of his life, uh, he talked about depression a lot, and he has a lot of like very insightful quotes about depression. Uh, if you want to go out there and look them up, and he he loved marijuana as well. Yeah, and uh, a couple of years before his death, I remember when it was uh, medicinally legal in California was when he did like this whole Rolling Stone interview about how he's just like. I've been a pothead forever. I am a super pothead, and now I can finally be an open advocate for it. And this late in life, and it was uh, it was that was sweet to find out. I don't know something about like grandpa pothead is fun. <laughs> yeah, and actually, something that a lot of people might not know is that he actually like didn't like being confused with the sort of character that he played. Like Rodney Dangerfield on stage is a very different person from who he was in his daily life. His wife said that he was like a really classy, sensitive guy, mm. but people were often just like, say the line, Rodney. Uh, and uh, yeah, so there's sort of that, that tension as well, kind of like that sadness in this kind of, in Rodney's whole life. I've actually heard that about uh, the late Don Rickles too, where his entire act was just like shouting at people and being very angry, <laughs> but offstage he was just a shy, sensitive, sp- a soft-spoken man. <laughs> and this is such a great episode, all built around him. Like this episode doesn't exist without Rodney Dangerfield. It's about what if a Rodney Dangerfield movie happened yeah. in Springfield? Yeah. <laughs> like only in the third act do they remember. Oh, right, The Simpsons. Yes. They're on this yeah. show too. Right, uh, get Homer in there. And uh, yeah, I watched uh, all his movies are the same movie. And um, actually, when when Matt Groening before The Simpsons, he was you know he was being shopped around Hollywood as this young you know talented writer guy, and he was hired to pitch Rodney. Dangerfield movies and the first thing they told him was no fish out of water stories and he was like what are you talking about this is Rodney Dangerfield this is all he does I uh, I remember back to school I watched that many times when it was uh, replaying on Comedy Central I did watch Caddyshack far too young again I, I had also very permissive parents who for example when I bought a Robocop toy as a kid I was like I want to see the Robocop movie this is mm-hmm. based on they let me see it at like eight think you could fly Henry <laughs> and and same with Caddyshack Caddyshack. I thought that puppet looked so cool in the commercials for Caddyshack 2 that they rented Caddyshack 1 for me. And I just, I think all the sex and drug stuff just went straight over my head and didn't I, get it. I have to apologize. I meant to watch it before this podcast recording. I didn't have time, but all I remember from that, those movies as a kid is the puppet. Yes. And I believe the puppet was like center stage in the second movie. Mm-hmm. No, no Rodney though. It was, it was Jackie Mason, right? Yeah, yeah. Jackie Mason. And then they replaced Ted Knight with um, mystery, uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Guy, Robert, Robert Stack, Stack, yeah. yeah. What? It, oh my and, god, that's and, incredible. <laughs> and Bill Murray replaced with Dan Aykroyd. It was really just they got the beat. They were just like, well, let's just interchange these parts. Mm-hmm. Who fucking They were all the senior uh, Spielbergos of uh, <laughs> their I respective say, actors. Like, if anyone hasn't seen that movie, it's like if if you're around like our age, like a child of the 80s or 90s, it's really bizarre because Bill Murray is in like a completely different role than he usually is. He's playing a very bizarre character. He doesn't even look like himself because he's so young. Um, And same with like Chevy Chase is like, you know, if you know him from community or something, like it's wild to watch him in this movie. Oh yeah. And they're like secondary roles in the movie. They're not the type of star roles that they would insist on very soon after that movie came out. And every, every Bill Murray impression is an impression of his character in Caddyshack. (laughs) In fact, when they replace Lorenzo music with Dave Coulier, 
to voice Peter Venkman on The Real Ghostbusters, Dave Coulier just did his Bill Murray and Caddyshack impression, mm-hmm. which was kind of off-putting. He's, he's pretty close to his Caddyshack character in here, especially in the last scene, I will say. But well, that's getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> uh, but I guess he is a uh, late guest star. He passed away at 82 in 2004. So we do have to play the death Death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is, death. I got to tell you, the Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein uh, guest pool is a graveyard <laughs> in 2018. They're all they're all dead. They cast 70-year-old men in most cases. Yeah, the 20 only, years ago. Only Kirk Douglas is still with us. Inexplicably. Really. Oh, and Donald Sutherland Ooh. still. Cr- oh, yeah. We're crossing the fingers on both those folks. Oh, boy. You know what? I heard him on a podcast uh, ad doing a commercial for Ice Tea. And I Donald imagine Hollis Sutherland? Hurlbutt doing, wow. the, doing the read. Oh, that's yes. so sweet. His voice is still great. <laughs> or it was Lemonade. I forget what it was. Oh, yeah, and this episode aired five days before Rodney's uh, 75th birthday. Oh, actually. wow. I wonder if they timed it for that. I mm. don't know. It's definitely time for the fall, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. What a perfect outing for a beautiful autumn day. I feel sorry for everyone who's cooped up inside watching the seventh game of the World Series. Yeah, they won't learn anything about apples today. <laughs> And the cider mill operated continuously until 1941, when its workers left to fight in the Second World War. When they returned, the old girl was just as they'd left her, only now she was infested with thousands upon thousands of rats. (laughs) Right, and if you listen real carefully, you can still hear them gnawing away at the apples and splashing around in the toilets. (laughs) And that concludes this portion of the tour. So I have to wonder, and this could just be me reaching, if this is the old mill mentioned in Bartender Child. Let's go to the old mill. Get oh some cider. Oh my gosh. You know, I wouldn't oh. put it past Oakley and Weinstein to make this literally that old mill. We finally see the old mill. And I, I have lots of fond old mill memories growing up in the Midwest and going to the uh, the famed White House Fruit Farm in, oh. I believe, Canfield, Ohio, p- perhaps, and getting fresh cider from I, the old mill. I'm so jealous of that. My family... The closest we did, we went to a peach farm one year and picked our own peaches mm. on a vacation. But I love cider so much. I'd have, oh God, I would have killed for that. Henry's a real cider guy. Whenever we go out for <laughs> drinks, it's always cider. Yes. So, but then can you tell me the difference between cider and juice? Uh, oh, I think Flanders can. <laughs> <laughs> well, if God didn't make little green apples, it's Homer Simpson. How long have you been here? Twenty of the suckiest minutes of my life. Oh, sucking down the cider, huh? Hey, word to the wise. Season pass. Pays for itself after the 16th visit. You know, most people don't know the difference between apple cider and apple juice. But I do. Now, here's a little trick to help you remember. If it's clear and yellow, you've got juice there, fella. If it's tangy and brown, you're in cider town. Now, there's two exceptions, and it gets kind of Oh, you can stay, but I'm leaving. Oh my! I better get you some cider. <laughs> the, the the soul the soul of Homer's brain leaves his body. Is that fly to the episode already? Right. I uh, I have my own, but we can yeah. Oh, that yeah. slide whistle. Sure. Uh, all right, we can do it. That's the joke. I like that Flanders is very uh, cider-focused, oh. and he's taking it upon himself to lecture Homer on a very obvious thing, like, the the, the juice and cider, the differences between them should be apparent, like, <laughs> immediately. 
Oh god, just his he's so happy to talk about cider. He has he has an annual pass that pays for itself after the 16th visit. <laughs> The family all has apple hats, and if you listen uh, to Homer's um, inner monologue, Flanders is still talking, yes. and there's there's still <laughs> cider information behind uh, the dialogue if you want to listen to it about like late season apples and things like that. And the Homer's brain joke is already amazing, but the adding of the slide whistle yeah. as it leaves his brain, and then he just passes out, apparently just brain dead and catatonic. It's just, oh, God, I love it. I wish so. I had the power to just shut my brain off immediately, yes. just collapse if I was in a bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't had as many concussions as Homer. That's true. That might help. I avoid all sports and, and non-treadmill uh, activities. <laughs> uh, also, just to go back a little bit, when Marge says, uh, I'm glad we're doing this instead of seeing the last game of the World Series, I wonder if they intended this to air before... Some episodes got delayed because they started this season with Treehouse because mm. the World Series uh, preempted it. So I'm wondering if they... Had to, if this was going to be on when the World Series. Hmm, I wonder. The Simpsons will be right back. Oh, I don't get no regard at all. No esteem either. Oh, I'm just kidding. I get so much from all you wonderful listeners out there. Hello, it's Henry here, welcoming you to the break and thanking you for listening to Talking Simpsons. Beyond the regard and esteem that our listeners give us, they also support us at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. A little bit of money there, say $5, goes to help me and Bob keep on living and doing this full time. But it's more than that. Not only does it let us go to L.A. to record cool podcasts like we did with the Everything's Coming Up Simpsons hosts, we also get to do our live shows and support on Patreon.com slash Talking Simpson lets us do a ton of cool interviews like the many we have hosted on there. And you get to hear many of those things exclusively at Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons just by signing up. So why don't you head there today, put down some money, and you can hear things like our interview with Mike Reese, who wrote for the show since the first season. Our live episode we just did where we went back through Camp Krusty with new original thoughts or our upcoming episodes that we recorded in Los Angeles, California with so many great upcoming guests and you'll hear it only a, there a week early and ad free. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. episode is also brought to you by what a cartoon our weekly podcast where we go through a different cartoon each week we've done batman we've done king of the hill we've done daria we've done cowboy bebop we've done so many classic cartoons and you can hear our thoughts on all of them a week early and ad free if you support us at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and we cover so many shows that are available on hulu and if you'd like to watch them ahead of time you can go to tiny.cc slash tshulu and get a free 30-day trial of Hulu. If you sign up there, a little bit of money gets kicked back to your buddies at Talking Simpsons, and it helps you watch along with What a Cartoon. There's so many great shows that are available there, including Latter-day Simpsons, if you really want to watch those. Check out that 30-day free trial at tiny.cc slash tshulu. Hulu. 
into the in the beautiful fall foliage does look great. Like the animation team really made this look uh, the colors, the colors, children. I wanted to ask. Uh, so Lisa was getting upset with Marge's uh, mispronunciations. Mm. Uh, do we have any pet peeves? I try to not be an awful pedant, and I because I used to be. I'm yes. trying. I'm a pedant in recovery, and I never want to be a pedant again. But <laughs> the one thing that gets me, and it is because of baggage, is the. Um, People that don't know how to say etc. Mm. Uh, they say etc. And um, I used to work at software etc. Uh, um, no employee knew how to pronounce the name of the store. No one knew how to write it on a check. No mm. one knew what it meant. It, number one, it was a bad name for a store, but it's just like it is etc. It's right there, people. <laughs> Do we have any yeah. pet peeves? I feel like everyone gets one prescriptivism, whatever. We're we've, we're done with it, but everyone gets one. And mine is peak and peak. So, uh, like, when people write sneak peek with an A, I fly into mm. a murderous rage. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that is that is an annoying one. I think, I, I hate to use one from the episode, but I did have, like, nuclear did get to me. Even before the whole George W. Bush saying a thing, I was just like, come on, it's nuclear. And that's maybe because I was reading so many comic books where they talk about nuclear power mm. a lot. And plus on this show, I, this this felt like the the Harvardy writers of the show attacking all the mm. people they can't stand mm. saying things like... Foilage. And Marge hits them all. It's foilage, library, escape. <laughs> How many nuclear jokes are there on the show? Because the other one that I clearly remember is, I think it's the one where Homer takes Lisa to work and he's like, it's pronounced nuclear. Uh, nuclear. <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, boy, I I know he said that, but yeah, I can't remember it either. I I he Homer has said it, he's mispronounced it many times. Though now I'm just the only time I can remember it being like specifically correctly pronounced was when Bart said in King Size Homer he's a nuclear safety technician. That was it was like extra nuclear. But poor, I feel you know now I I'm not as much of a pedant anymore either. I feel. I, I just feel like for Marge, like, who cares? Like, just say words how you're going to say them. Um. That it's pronounced nuclear is from Simpson Tide. Ah, that's right. It's a nuclear sub. And then he, that's. Ah, yes. Thank you. That Bob. was another no. line that my dad would always repeat. Oh. Don't thank me. Thank Frankiak. <laughs> Meanwhile, as they're on this trip, uh, Burns is off in New Haven, Connecticut. Honestly, Smithers, I don't know why Harvard even bothers to show up. <laughs> they barely even won. Their cheating was even more rampant than last year, sir. Well, I say let Harvard have its football and academics. Yale will always be first in gentlemanly club life. Mm. Every friend I have, I made right here. Hello, Bernsey. It's your old roommate, Dink. <laughs> I love all the Harvard bashing, and uh, we learn now. I don't know if we learned knew this before, but uh, Burns is a brutish Yaley. This is the first time we found out Burns goes to Yale. We've had we already knew that Sideshow Bob went to Yale. Yeah, all the villains of the show. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Which because we've joked about it before, but many of the Simpsons writers went to Harvard. They wrote for the Harvard Lampoon, and Harvard and Yale are rivals in the Ivy Leagues. They have battle over who is the fanciest. They do not acknowledge brown and who has the who has the most presidents who has the most evil secret societies they they battle over all those things there's also the great line where roger myers fires his harvard writer and he's like you yeah. have the boorish you have the boorish sensibilities of a yaley then he gets his <laughs> name plate thrown at him yes he has a witty rejoinder for you this is them 
making their ultimate evil on The Simpsons also a Yaley, mm-hmm. just so you know. I don't know. Dink seemed pretty cool. Dink <laughs> does seem pretty cool. That is based on a real book guy, which I only know because of The Simpsons joke. It was Stover at Yale, hmm. a 1912 novel that was all the rage in 1912. Apparently, F. Scott Fitzgerald like said oh this was this was very inspiring to me as a writer and it's just about being a young man at yale who joins the football club we'll get to it soon all of the math checks out in this episode regarding burns but dink has to be over 100 yes yeah <laughs> outside that train window <laughs> though the, it, if the book took place in 1912 then he would have been an alumni with burns mm. who graduated in 1914 uh, also the the yale harvard football game has been going on since 18 1975 they Wait, have been the, having the same a, game uh yes they it, it's their yearly game where no, i mean like it's been running continuously oh it's never no. stopped to no, tell sorry. no they they have a new they have a different they have a football game every november like the weekend before thanksgiving they play a football game and it's for bragging rights over who's is the best the score right now of total games one is 67 yale wins 58 uh, sorry, 59 Ooh. Harvard wins and eight ties. I'm going to assume that in the very beginning of those games, they did not wear helmets and they just wrapped their heads with cheesecloth or something like <laughs> yes, that. Yeah. And and the, the in the last 20 years, though, Harvard has won the most. And in fact, six days after this episode airs, Harvard would win the game against Yale, in the, the yearly game, and they'd win 26 to 21. Hmm. Burns is acting like they won when they lost and that Smithers just has to buy into like I agree. They, they definitely cheated. <laughs> all the cheats. Barely even won. <laughs> Wait, can we talk about the math, though? Because I was trying to do this, but, like, sometimes my brain doesn't work. So Mr. Burns says that his 25-year reunion at Yale, he talks about it, and there's a sign that says class of 1939, correct? Correct. I have all of the math right here if you want me to, like, roll through it. Because by my math, if this takes place in the year that it aired, isn't he, like, 102? So in Homer the Smithers, he's defined as being 104 years old and all the math checks out as of 1996 so uh 1939 was burns's 25th yale reunion and if you assume he was 22 when he graduated from yale he'd be 47 at his 25th reunion in 1939, meaning he was born in 1892. So in 1996, he'd be 104. And 1996 is when Homer the Smithers takes place when and when Burns Baby Burns takes place. And in Homer the Smithers, he said he punched him as a, in his 104-year-old face. So, wow, yeah, the, <laughs> the math checks out. Yeah, and keep in mind, Burns will have to fight in World War II <laughs> in his 50s later in the timeline. Yeah, actually, right after Larry is born, within two years of Larry's birth, he is drafted to serve uh-huh. in, like, the front lines in Europe, which pretty extreme. But yes, it, this is the attention to detail that Ian Maxstone Graham probably didn't care about, but oh, Bill Oakley <laughs> and Josh Weinstein love to care about. Where it's like we define he's not, we define he's 104. Let's do all the math to make sure all of these years check out, and they do, but they don't anymore. Yeah, <laughs> at least in '96 it did. This would now make him 120. The eight? 126. 126, yeah. I love that boxcar, too. It, it, I dreamed of having a rich man's boxcar as a yes, kid. Yes, it it's seems so, so cool. beautiful. Like a train car attached to a train. It's like the dream, honestly. A hotel room that like moves with you. A fancy yes. suite. And all of the luxuries in there are like from the 30s. There's no TV <laughs> or radio. In fact... <laughs> Uh, Burns has a very old rich man form of entertainment in which he pays a man to make a fool out of himself yes. for his entertainment. I love I love Burns just clapping as, as Smithers capers around. <laughs> and that fancy brandy bottle. Yeah, a real decanter, if yes, you will. Yeah. 
But they're stopped by a couch on the tracks, which that's just such a funny, like, like they could have done the easy thing of a cow on the tracks, but just a couch, which is so easily moved. But the, I love all the people just looking at it, like scratching their chins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's when Rodney Dangerfield or Larry enters the story. Hey, customers, thank God. Papa needs a new pair of everything. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to Scenic Waynesport. And remember your visit with a googly-eyed walnut. Hey, how about a googly-eyed rock? Mm-hmm. Some nice local squash candy. A stressed-out Pepsi bottle. Come on. If this stuff is too nice for you, I've got some crap. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot going on with this roadside attraction. Did anyone else have a have a twisted uh, or stretched out Pepsi bottle at home? These are all the things no. I saw on vacation and wanted at the souvenir shop like it's Stuckies, but my dad wouldn't get us. Someone brought me back one of those Pepsi bottles, but I didn't know what to do with it and <laughs> it's sort of, it's actually still on the bar at my parents' house, so <laughs> I, can go, I can go back and visit anytime I want. But all of his little tchotchkes reminded me of you'll love Oyster Lucy. Oyster just gluing Uh, gluing eyes to things yeah i it's a very well observed roadside thing and waynesport is a made-up city for springfield it's not like in connecticut it's just one of their secondary cities apparently according to the wiki it only appeared in one other episode it was uh where one of the teams bart played against in peewee football okay in bart star but otherwise Waynesport should have become like their secondary Shelbyville. It needs a funnier name. (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised. I actually looked it up because I was like, is this an homage to someone? But as far as I can tell, it was just it's just a random name. And that (laughs) seems like a really bizarre, wasted opportunity. Yeah, especially for the Simpsons. Yeah, maybe if it had been funnier, the name, they'd they'd have gone back to it more. So when Dangerfield comes on, they talk about on the commentary too how they they just had so much fun writing Dangerfield jokes for Dangerfield to say. And he would actually punch them up and make them better because he is the master of his own brand of comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. And what Josh Weinstein was talking about how he had the annotated script that Rodney Dangerfield wrote his jokes on. Like, that's, that's, I'm so jealous of that. That is a, that is a real keepsake. Mm-hmm. He tries to find out where they're going. Uh, maybe it's in the same state, but uh, I, I love a good gag about not letting you know the state that the Simpsons are in. Uh, but he decides to hit the road as a hitchhiker, and that's where he runs into the family. I can honestly say that was the most fun I've ever had. The mill, the history, mm-hmm. all that gorgeous foliage. I can't escape Lisa, our little walking library. (laughs) Can't they get a pole for that sign? That's a hitchhiker, Homer. Ooh, let's pick him up. No, what if he's crazy? And what if he's not? Then we'd look like idiots. We're not picking him up. Oh, yes, we are. There's not enough room. Yes, there is. (laughs) I just don't think it's a good idea. And I think it's the best idea I've ever had. We're picking up the weirdo, and that's final. That's a great joke. <laughs> Even though I see it coming, I just love the when you finally see they're in the driveway <laughs> right when, when the argument is resolved. Everybody could get out and go to bed, but Homer has to drive back. I really wanted <laughs> everyone to be asleep in the car but Homer when they pick up Larry. <laughs> that it would take him another three hours to drive back to there. And it's and that poor grandpa was also who only appears when they need a joke. He's not really drawn in there otherwise. Is he even in the beginning? Oh, I think he might be in the beginning. He's with walking them. Yeah. with them, yeah. 
that. Uh, I mean, he'd love to go to Cider Town as an old man. He I needs would... to be there for the poop joke that shows up later. Yes, yeah. It's very important. Uh, but also, Marge never talks like this ever again. She never mispronounces anything. She has a very specific accent. And I like the line, can't somebody find a pole for that sign? That's a great <laughs> Uh, but so, yes, they head back and pick up old Larry. Hey, you folks are all right. Man, it was rough getting a ride out there. The only car that stopped was the hearse that thought I fell out. It was rough, I tell you. Careful of the apple pie on the seat. Uh-oh! Grandpa, are you sitting on the pie? I sure <laughs> hope so. <laughs> hey, I'm looking for this guy. Anybody know who he is? Yeah, sure, we know him. That's Mr. Burns. He tried to kill our puppies. He sexually harassed me. He stole my fiance. He made fun of my weight. Okay, so there's been a little friction. Know his address? Oh, this guy's got more bread than a prison meatloaf. He's rich, I tell you. I've never seen a place with a walk-in mailbox. Hey, who am I talking to? <laughs> I think that might be my line of the show. <laughs> okay, I'll play it again. I, yeah. That's the joke. That's the only time I've heard a character point that sort of, uh, you know, self-riffing out. I, I, just, I love him <laughs> stepping outside of it like, hey, who am, who am I talking to? Yeah. There's a lot of great jokes in here about what it would be like if in real life Rodney Dangerfield was around. Like, they never laugh at him. He's obviously, the, mm-hmm. char- the character of Larry is being a comedian saying jokes in front of him. But they don't, like, laugh or go, like, you're so funny. Like, Homer will go, like, oh, so lazy. He just takes it literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I feel like Homer should have a better example of what Burns did to him instead of he made fun of my weight. Homer's been through so much more than that, including <laughs> the whole Who Shot Mr. Burns uh, saga. Yeah, he tried to have me killed. He could easily say that. Or uh, uh, and Bart should have said, like, he adopted me. But... There's honestly too many. This is a nice reverse of the joke of instead of Burns not remembering, it's about how everyone else remembers yeah. everything Burns has mm. done to them. And it's also, I, I just love when they recognize, like, we've told this story so many times. They're they're intimately familiar with Mr. Burns at this point. More bread than a prison meatloaf. That's a nice, that's a nice joke. <laughs> that's one of the ones I wrote down. Uh, Larry meets up with Mr. Burns. Yes? Yeah. Uh, hi, my, my name is Larry. I'm here to see Mr. Burns. Well, I hate to break it to you, Larry, Mm -hmm. but if Mr. Burns ever wants to see a stranger, he will observe him through a powerful telescope. Here's what's going on. How dare you interrupt my lamb, Ricky. (laughs) State your business. Well, uh, she's a... I'm a little nervous here. What I'm trying to say is I'm... You what? Selling light bulbs? Worried about the whales? Keen on Jesus? Out with it. Well, Mr. Burns, I'm your son. Oh, and I stepped on one of your peacocks. You got a paper towel? <laughs> a poor bird. Oh. Uh, has anyone had a lime ricky? No, but I want to try one after reading what the recipe was. It's an old-timey cocktail. There's like gin and sugar and, of course, limes and a few other things. It's a citrusy cocktail, but it's weird that Burns is drinking it out of a fast food cup. That's a great detail. With a straw. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fancy highball. It's just gin and seltzer and squeeze half a lime into that, add some sugar to taste. It's it's nice. Or it sounds nice. It sounds refreshing. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more of a uh, highball or... I, I'm not much of a beer guy. It's either cider or a, a fancy mixed drink. Like I just had last night when me and Bob had uh, had some drinks, mm. uh, some celebratory drinks. Uh, I want to make a lime Ricky now, but I wonder, it's it's the perfect oldie time 
drink for Burns, though, because it was invented in 1870s. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and uh, I like the little details on Larry, like when he says, like, I'm pretty nervous here. Like, the armpit sweat on him is yeah, really right there, Yeah, nice too. little details. It's a Jim Reardon episode, by the way. Mm-hmm. And also, Jim Reardon shows up in the background of the scene with Burns and Smithers walking by the train they're about to board, because... And the uh, the real history of Jim Reardon is he hates flying. So if there's a train scene, someone will usually draw him into it. He's he's a large man with a beard. You can see him walk by in the scene. Trains are nice. I like trains. They are nice. Train. They take yeah. forever to get anywhere, but mm. that's because of uh, the government. <laughs> I love the design of Larry too. That he they basically had a body of Rodney Dangerfield and then put the hair and the the top of the hair and the face of Mr. Burns in the middle of it. If you stare at it <laughs> if you stare at it for too long and try to take it apart, it, it does seem odd they just stuck a Burns face on a larger male character. But uh <laughs> if you don't stare at it like a magic eye painting or poster, then you're fine. And he also like walks like uh like Mr. Burns at one point. Like yeah. he's got the hands out, which they, is perfect. They give him the little dinosaur hands. Yes, yeah. yeah. That he reverts to it. It's just his natural walk. <laughs> style alongside Burnsy. And they have they have uh, matching liver spots, but uh mm-hmm. Burns uh, sorry, Larry did not lose his hair like Burns did. He still got some hair. Well, the way he lifts up his hair, it almost feels like a comb over. Yeah. I don't know. It's... Burns does not have enough for a comb over though. Yeah, yeah, but it's well, maybe he did uh, 40 years ago. Oh. Or... No, wait, he doesn't in that flashback. So That's no, right. He, he was a bald old man in 1939. <laughs> bald as a plucked chicken. Um, so, yeah, we do hear how Larry was born. But how's a guy like you wind up with a son like me? Ah, Larry, my lad, I've gone over this story in my mind a million times. It was 1941, the, <laughs> no, 39, my 25th Yale reunion. Who should appear but the unrequited love of my college years, Mimsy Bancroft. (laughs) Of course, by then, Mimsy had her share of wrinkles and a grey hair or two, but my adoring eyes saw past those minor imperfections to her 21-year-old daughter, Lily. (laughs) I took Lily to the local cinematorium, where our passions were inflamed by Clark Gable's reckless use of the word, damn. We sneaked into the nearby Peabody Museum. There, under the smiling eyes of four stuffed Eskimos... We expressed our love physically, as was the style at the time. Uh, How do you like that? I have been in a museum. (laughs) Okay, so a few things. First of all, we expressed our love physically, as was the style at the time, is an incredible line. And also just brings to mind uh, Grandpa's... Uh, incoherent rant from another episode where he talks about uh, tying an onion to his belt, as was the style at the time. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I do like Burns probably believes no one has sex anymore. It was a a passing fad. It was a new thing in 1939. (laughs) Listening to this clip, I did realize probably for the first time, uh, he says stuffed Eskimos. Yes. They weren't like mannequins. They were dead, like Inuit people that were killed (laughs) and stuffed and put on display. Oh my God, you're right. I I did not realize that until just listening to the clip. And also, it wasn't part of the clip, but I love how the fact that he ruined this 21-year-old woman's life is a footnote. She was was sent away to a con in the South Seas yeah. and never seen <laughs> never again. Never seen again. But okay, so also the Mimsy Lily joke is like very, very good. I saw past <laughs> those flaws. Past her, 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 the ravages of time to her 21 year old yeah. daughter. Yeah. We, uh, we don't know he's being literal about looking past something until <laughs> we see the pan over to the daughter. It's it's a great oh, joke. And also, what, what a scoundrel Burns is. God, that, well, that the, the direction of it is so great too because you see Mimsy turn and start to walk towards him. So she. 
she's made eye contact with him, so he's also being incredibly rude to just like <laughs> look at Lily instead. And, and they were so turned on by uh, Clark Gable. And it's such a great gag too that you think that he's. It's very mean, but so great that you think he's uh, that that Larry's mother was this older woman he got with. Which Mimsy is a great name of a Yale graduate from his same age as well. <laughs> mm. So I believe the remnants. Uh, so th- this story is the remnants of another story. So they wanted to do a story for the show in which Burns and Abe fought in World War II and they had the same lover and there was an illegitimate child. That became both uh, Raging Hellfish or Flying Hellfish and this episode. So they sort of broke the different ideas into different episodes. It's funny. Yeah, you know, it, it never hit me as a kid that so close together they had a Burns' history episode. Like, these are, uh, like, only in air order, like, six episodes apart. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh. And though it's also weird to think that Burns was ever virile, and, uh, <laughs> in, in any sense of virility with Burns just doesn't make sense. His... I love the young Mr. Burns character design, though, yeah. like with the wavy hair. It's so good. It's great. And I, I guess his sperm was not lethargic as it would be in later in later <laughs> yeah. years, as he describes it. Sperm. And uh, the Peabody Museum thing, too, is uh, that set is actually the museum that's on the Yale campus, folks. It's mm. still there. You can you can visit it and try to find the room where Burns had sex. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love the one-liner. I have been in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> so then he gets shown around the place. I love that he. You're immediately seeing what the problem's going to be with his hugging of Burns, like his and and kissing the, and kissing. Yeah. And when he tells his life story, which is nothing, he leaves out that wife and child. Which obviously that's the joke. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's it's funny that they he leaves them out. Uh, there's a performance. If you're curious, it's Death of a Salesman. Is uh, what's happening there? That's the famous line. A man is not a piece of fruit. I really enjoy Larry. As much as he, uh, he riffs on people, he's a nice guy. And I do like telling the people, uh, him telling the people in the play, hey, you're all right. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> what is this play? What did I say? That feels like an oldie, an old school, like Merkin era Burns joke, too, that his house is so gigantic. There's tons of people. There's people just putting out plays for no one who have been employed there for years. I like thinking <laughs> about what all the plays that are taking place while Burns is in home, like all of the different plays <laughs> rotating through the playroom. And he'll, he'll occasionally pop in and watch part of one. This is such another template thing for season eight. It is a stranger enters the world of The Simpsons. And how do they react to it? There's, there's so many like this. And this is like, in this case, it is Homer gets along with him. This is the, the, the anti-Grimes mm, one. Grimey right. doesn't get along with Homer, but uh, he immediately befriends old Larry here. Hey, you're that hitchhiker. What are you doing here? Learning a family business. I'm Larry Burns, the boss's son. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, relax. I don't want to work. I'm so lazy I took lessons on a player piano. Wow, that's really lazy. <laughs> lazy? You're not kidding. Well, I'm like a rug on Valium. I'm talking lazy. So lazy. (laughs) And Larry and I have so much in common, March. Way more than you and me. If I could be stranded (laughs) on an island with anyone, it would definitely be Larry. I think we've heard enough about Larry Burns for one evening. Why? It's Mm -hmm. not like anything interesting happened to anyone else today. So Bart is looking at a giant diamond. Lisa has a broken arm. And Maggie uh, has a world's cutest baby sash around her. (laughs) I want to know those stories. Those are three episodes they have yet to make. <laughs> Lisa's arm heals very quickly. It does. <laughs> Unless you can assume that, well, now we know Larry stayed with him for a week. Though maybe the story is that Lisa got a fake cast put on her arm. It could be. That's how you would explain yourself out of it. <laughs> 
That's even more of an interesting story. But I love that Homer Homer turns on his console. That's how lazy he is. He doesn't even have it on anymore. <laughs> and, uh, too, that Larry, it kind of reminds me of uh, him with Hank Scorpio, where he's just saying, like, so lazy. He just has no other things to add to it. And it's always great seeing Homer tell Marge how much he likes someone than her and yeah. not realizing it. Uh, the Desert Island comment was pretty mean. We're getting more and more of uh, jerk-ass Homer in this. And Ian Maxtogram is a he is a king of writing jerk-ass Homer, I will also say. We basically get a scene from Caddyshack here. Admiral Carstairs, I'd like you to meet my son, Larry. Hey, Skipper, good to meet you. Where'd you start out, on the Merrimack? <laughs> hey, I should talk. I hope I look that good when I'm 200. We're such Please, he's very sensitive about his age. Monty, this must be the son I've heard so much about. Larry, you must meet our daughter, the debutante. She came out last spring. Whoa, put her back in. She's not done yet. <laughs> that is... Smithers, there's something a bit odd about young Larry. I can't quite put my finger on it. Well, he is a bit rough around the edges, sir. One might blame his truly heroic intake of cocktail. <laughs> Pull up a seat, Pop. You too, Chuckles. I mean, the food ain't great, but the portions are terrific. You were saying, Merritt, I know you got a okay. real pick out of something. <laughs> the wealthy dowager line, or like the the um, the put her back in. She's not done yet, I think is my favorite <laughs> line from this entire episode. Um, let's, let's do three lines yes. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> That's the joke. I, I, I just love the idea of someone giving a Rodney Dangerfield-style character the perfect setup, yeah. like just, yeah. just handing it to him. Right, yeah, just on a platter, like served mm. to him by one of these waiters. And also this character, like whenever there's a wealthy dowager on The Simpsons, I always think of the um, <laughs> the Clown College episode mm -hmm. where Krusty's like, all right, so when the wealthy dowager comes in, the party's over, right? Nope. And he like hits her with a pie in the face and she gets slammed into the wall. And the, Homer's <laughs> taking notes and he just says out loud, kill wealthy dowager. That might be the same yeah. dowager, so she did not die of massive brain damage from uh, Krusty's uh, concussion he gave her. I actually looked it up. It is uh, a, di a slightly different design. Oh no, R.I.P. <laughs> the, uh, the clown dowager died, I think. But the, I like that this dowager, she even has the opera glasses. She's just the perfect dowager stereotype. I, I really enjoy all of these high society figures that have not been alive since maybe 1984. Yeah. You never see them again because they're all dead, but I, I love these them just showing up at this party oh god and it's just it you know where this is going the second you hear burns tell him like you'll fit in just fine yeah. like it's <laughs> and uh the, U the uss merrimack folks is also the f uh, a boat that served in the civil war wow. that's how old it is that i wish there was more interactions between larry and smithers just how we call smithers chuckles <laughs> I, uh, but then also smithers correctly identify he's like his rather heroic, heroic. intink of cocktails yeah. the adjective heroic to describe drinking is great and <laughs> one i haven't heard before or since you should use it more often <laughs> burns knows just the trick to send him to yale mm -hmm. and uh, here's another i fucking love this scene too so much. i i enjoy hank azaria's a very quietly angry character in this in this scene how are his test scores let's just say this he spelled yale with a six <laughs> i see well i oh you know i just remembered it's time for my annual donation i wonder how much i should give well frankly test scores like larry's would call for a very generous contribution 
For example, a score of 400 would require a donation of new football uniforms, 300 a new dormitory, and in Larry's case, we would need an international airport. Yale could use an international airport, Mr. Burns. Are you mad? I'm not made of airports. Get out! <laughs> Summon my son at once. Uh, it appears he's gone drinking, sir. <laughs> the line before the clip starts I love so much of the again the quietly angry Hank Azaria character he's just reciting Rodney Dangerfield jokes like just matter of factly he's like he made fun of my weight problem and then asked if my motto was Semper Fudge yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the actual Yale motto is Lut et or Lut et Veritas which is light and truth mm. it's not Semper Fudge if that's what you guys Semper really Fudge love. Uh, At that point, he told me to relax. <laughs> the air quotes. Uh, and and uh, this this joke introduced me to the idea. I was an innocent young man. I didn't know that rich people buy their mm. uh, buy things and make donations to get their kids into schools, even when they are maybe don't belong there. Those are legacy mm. admissions, correct? Yes. Yeah. Which. That's ridiculous to me to even think that, like, Harvard or Yale is still is asking for donations. It's like, you're freaking Yale. Like, you don't need a donation. George H. Uh, wait, George W. Bush was a Yaley, right? Uh, yeah, he was okay. in Skull and Bones. Thought yes. so. So that's how he runs the world secretly. No, <laughs> uh, but, they, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the international airport is a pretty great one. The, I also just love his hand yeah. motions when he's saying, I'm not made of airports. <laughs> And a gone drinking sign. That's pretty cute too. And it's pointed at the camera, yes. and he like so he he knows where the hidden cameras are. <laughs> he made it to be seen. He couldn't do that mm-hmm. whole busted that, that couldn't slow down uh, trick again. You can only do it once. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to Moe's, and you, it was good to get a scene of Larry hanging out at Moe's too. Just it's the obvious joke that you know. If there's a joke about something happening to someone at Moe's, you know it's a joke about Barney. But I do like the reveal that he belches out a like cartoonish <laughs> fishbone. That's pretty funny. The kind that Heathcliff would pull out of his uh, mouth. <laughs> it should have made the xylophone sound when it came out of his mouth. Uh, and also, I'm calling him a doll baby. Like I just love that thing. He's a doll baby. <laughs> He takes Homer to dinner, which, again, I have clips of plenty in this because they're just all great. And this this dinner is amazing. I really like how, how much Homer wants to dish about Millhouse <laughs> and how he thinks <laughs> yeah. Burns would care. That little wiener. He's never heard of Millhouse in his life. He doesn't care. And but he I'll... doesn't know that Burns is making fun of him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, this is some party. If it gets any live, the funeral's going to break out. Quiet, you. Nobody likes a comedian. Jeez, come on, Dad. We got company. Make with the yakety yak yak. Oh, yakety yak. <laughs> you, food bag. Do you have a son? Yes, sir, I do. And is he a constant disappointment? Does he bring home nitwits and make you talk to them? Oh, all the time. Have you ever heard of this kid, Milhouse? He's a little wiener. Fascinating. Huh? Good night. Dad, what's with you tonight? I mean, I'm getting frostbite over here. I'll tell you what's with me. The humiliation of having a coarse, boorish ignoramus for a son. Eh, I should go. What's the matter, Pop? Don't you love me anymore? 
Oh, yeah. So I love I love the line Dan Wiener kids from uh, Team Homer. <laughs> yes, but yeah. I do like I do like the phrase little Wiener. Little and Wiener. I combine them now whenever I, I we do a lot of shows about you know media and often there are uh, young boy characters who are little Wiener kids. So <laughs> I, I believe the last time I used that was on our on our Evangelion podcast, and yes. I kept calling Shinji a little Wiener kid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, Burns does have a history with Millhouse to this point, though obviously he'd never bothered to remember his name. One, he specifically said no geeks when Millhouse applied to be his heir. Yes. And more importantly, he crippled Millhouse. Yeah. He he broke Millhouse's leg. <laughs> and he said he'd come Wait, back. When did that happen? When, did he hit him with his car? Uh, no, that wasn't the. Uh, it was the football game in Homer Loves Flanders, yeah. where he's like a little crippled boy. Uh, he wants you to win. I know because I crippled him myself to inspire you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, for him, that was that, that's probably it'd be hard for Burns to remember all the boys he's crippled. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. That joke is so funny in the moment, but when I think of it in in abstract now, I'm like, oh, Burns like broke the bones of a child. That's horrible. <laughs> Red Smithers do it. Come yeah, on. Or, yeah, he do it himself. <laughs> he doesn't love Larry. It seems pretty clear on that. And so this also feels like a very jerk ass Homer with his insane uh, sitcom suggestion for Larry. Yeah, I mean, I, I do love the third act, but I feel like it is much like a Millhouse Divided in which it's like, oh, we need to get the Simpsons back in the show. Mm. And when easily there could have been a third act more about Larry and yeah. Burns. Yeah. I tell you, I don't get no regard. No <laughs> regard at all. No esteem either. Larry, there's only one sure way to make him realize how much he loves you. And that is a phony kidnapping. Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe I should just leave town. Phony kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Nah, I know what I gotta do. I gotta clean up my act. No more joking around all the time. No more slacking off at work. And most important, no more booze. I know I can do it. Your son has been kidnapped. I, I really enjoy that we are denied to uh, the chance to hear no respect yep. from yeah. a Rodney Dangerfield. It, it's the greatest screw you because often they do indulge in their guest stars. They they do they say the line, you know, but yeah. in this case, I, it's a very Simpsons choice to deny you what you want the most and make a joke about how they are denying you. You know, I was thinking of this when we did the Sideshow Bob episode with Arlie Ermey in it. Yeah. Because they did have him say, what is your major malfunction? Which is do the line for him from uh, Full Metal Jacket. So maybe they learned from that of just like, no, let's not, let's surprise people. We can't go with the obvious thing here. I, I love that they hold and that they just pull out the, the thesaurus and they're like, what are other words for respect? <laughs> at no that time, regard it, either. At that time, it was a literal thesaurus in the room. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I like to imagine at some point Larry realized he couldn't do any of those things and, he's, and he went along with the phony kidnapping. I want to think they're also uh, partially inspired by the Lindbergh baby uh, famous mm. kidnapping from the earlier part of the 20th century in that now like... Larry is being treated like a baby that was stolen, <laughs> and Burns is the the rich uh, industrialist trying to get him back. It feels like the type of oldie time thing Oakley and Weinstein would go for. Except Larry survives, yes. and it's a phony kidnapping. Uh, yeah. Oh, come on. It's not too soon for the Lindbergh baby. <laughs> uh, I, I do like the police going around Burns' house, and also same with like Smithers pointing out, he's like, didn't you want to be rid of this guy? He's like, 
No one steals from Mr. Monty Burns. <laughs> and uh, and also how long it takes Wiggum to realize, like, and then the nap drops, right? Like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what his idea was before the net dropping was part of the plan. <laughs> it was just how he's leaving the money. The family is all come together uh, in the basement again. Uh, or actually, no, wait, Hurricane Nettie hasn't happened yet. We've recorded mm. Hurricane Nettie first. I get these basement scenes mixed up because they happen so close together in the episodes. What are you doing in the basement? It's like you're hiding out down here. Hiding out? Pfft, Marge. You've been reading too many hideout books. And what's that hitchhiker doing here? Is every drifter we meet going to move in with us? Of course not. We'll decide that on a drifter-by-drifter basis. He's not a drifter, (laughs) Mom. That's Mr. Burns' son, Larry. He's great at pointing out everyone's foibles. Hey, how you doing? Ooh, look at your hair. What happened? You saw yourself in a mirror? (laughs) He's kidding, Mom. But seriously, I'd love to have hair like yours. I just can't get the zoning permits. Hey, that reminds me, Mom. Buckingham Palace called. They want their hat back. Hey, kids, how about a hand for your mom? She's all right. Yeah, mom! Thank you. <laughs> it's a good choice that they don't give Homer a joke because he's not clever enough to think of a Rodney Dangerfield style mm-hmm. joke. <laughs> uh, but that Homer is, I guess, really like uh, denial of Marge's feelings is like saying, you read too many hideout books. <laughs> that is secretly my favorite line in the show. <laughs> you read too many hideout books. I, I just love how <laughs> quick he responds with that. that. That's why it was my intro line, because I, I knew the joke was coming and I was taking a big swig of almond milk and I was like, oh, shit. And the joke came and I nearly <laughs> choked to death uh, this morning. So I just love the phrase hideout books <laughs> and i love the pattern of the insult comedy too of just like that the marge is like the person who's in the audience like who is being insulted he goes mm, i don't like <laughs> this and so when you're not laughing along with them then the comic has to go like hey let's have a round of applause for this person they're all right i love all the times uh, he says he's all right or she's all right in this episode it's great it's very heartwarming and marge has a very real reaction to like uh, oh <laughs> thank you <laughs> like polite laughter yeah. Yes. And uh, this goes straight to Homer's ransom phone call, which mm. is, I, I get a confused, I th- at first thought it was a reference to the movie Ransom, but that came out after this, actually. Hello, Mr. Burns. This is the kidnapper. Do you miss your son? Yes, I'm missing one son. Return it immediately. <laughs> if you really love Larry, prove it. And you can have him back today. Ooh. How much proof do you need? 5,000? 6,000? I swear, that's all I've got. Mm-hmm. Don't you care about your son? This is more important than money. More important than money? Who is this? Uh, 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 so that's Dan Castellaneta talking through a real kazoo. Wow. And I also love the line, Yes, I'm missing one son. Return it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and his cautious ahoy hoy. Yeah, they kept the ahoy hoy in there. It's nice and cautious, like, who am I speaking to? But instead says ahoy hoy. And uh, also Wiggum throwing out the phone number. just Because it's a 555. Ah, it sounds fake. Oh, is this when we get the uh, the Marge line about hoaxes? Oh, oh, oh right. Uh, oh, there is a line about, I think it's coming up, actually. Yeah, oh, I don't have the clip, but yeah. Yeah, the, yeah when she says, you know how I feel about hoaxes, and Homer's just like, still? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's she, good. She's right. She told him not to fake his own death. This is just it's another true. hoax. <laughs> that, that and the hideout book line are really great. I, I love them. Still? <laughs> it's a simple hoax to win a father's love. 
You know how I feel about hoaxes. Still? And then her insistence that he leave and take him there now, even though and uh, even though it's it's daylight out and they'll be caught immediately, which they are caught immediately. And Ken Brockman points it out. There's only one word for this, idiocy. <laughs> Poor Marge. This is a real runner of Marge just being like told to her face, like, you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong and yeah. your plan is stupid. Do you ever get tired of being wrong, Marge? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Marge. She's, she's just trying to do what's right. That's all. Uh, I had to look it up. I had always assumed it was a real thing, but pie gal poker is a real thing, which uh, has really fallen out of popularity. Texas Hold'em is where it's at. You know, I at prefer Quang uh, Jong. Yeah, Quang Jong is apparently fake. That's mm. not a real thing, but... I got pie gal. <laughs> <laughs> so pie gal poker... Pai Gao is the domino game or a domino game played in China, and it was modified into a poker style, which is you're handed seven cards, and you have to get two good hands, one that is five cards and one that is two cards. So it's not about it's it's more complex than just plain old mm, poker. And no fun. It's funny that he that Larry is teaching them like these. That's where it feels like he's not Larry Burns, but Rodney Dangerfield, the guy who <laughs> plays poker games all the time. Yeah. Uh, teaching children to gamble, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they head out and they go to the uh, they go to the movie theater to see Too Many Grandpas starring uh, Olivia Dukakis and. We get a few. So Olivia I, I, Dukakis, yeah, and Bo Derek. But we get a few great. Uh-huh. I always love the Simpsons uh, when they do a twist on the like escape or chase gags. And the one I love a lot is in uh, Bart Gets Famous, in which Bart jumps in a laundry cart and oh, no yeah. no one carries it away, so he just walks out the door. And this one, <laughs> they they both go into a costume store, and then two people walk out, and then later it's revealed that they're in the bathroom, and the guy's like, "Buy a costume yeah. and get out." It's a great. I I love that. And also they try to hide in an abandoned warehouse. It's full of people, and Homer's line oh, yeah. is stupid economic recovery. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I love the uh, just the sight audio gag when um, when Wiggum and the cops are trying to sneak into the theater and they're just like it's so loud like they're just stepping on the congealed soda and popcorn and candy and like it's just such a disgusting noise. It's so gross and after realizing just how great the foley was I went back and watched the scene and it's also in the animation there's like more effort taken to mm-hmm. lift their feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah it's it, it, it they planned that far ahead with it and I I also love just how at the costume shop, how meekly they're hiding. Like they're just, they have the lights turned off in the bathroom. They're just like, oh God, I hope they're not, they don't find us. And, and yeah, when they see the movies, they wouldn't have been caught if Homer hadn't like thrown the popcorn in Mole Man's face. Yes. That's so mean. And then say, what are you going to do? Call the police? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And then we get a, a bloody end for Homer Simpson. My God, this, okay, this is another amazing scene. This has David Merkin all over. I know he wasn't writing for the show Roll now. that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> this is Kent Brockman live from the Aztec Theater where police have learned that kidnapper Homer Simpson and hostage Larry Burns are inside talking loudly. <laughs> Dude, give yourself up, homie. No, Dad, shoot your way out. A bloody end for Homer Simpson is just one of several possible outcomes, according to our computer simulation. Now, here's how it would look if the police killed him with a barrage of baseballs. We've got to go down there and help, Dad. Oh, stop it! 
It's a great joke about how sensational the news is, but also it's a very <laughs> cruel joke on the family, which I also love, and the yeah. viewers too. Yeah. No, it I it's funny to think about when you would have been caught by it because it I wasn't tricked now, obviously, on the eight million viewing of it, but I know when I first watched it, like <laughs> me, I was watching it with my mom and brother, and we gasped. We're like, oh my god. <laughs> Like, a bloody so, end for Homer Simpson. And it's so extreme. That's not the type. I yeah. mean, you would see that kind of violence and itchy and scratchy, but you don't see Homer shot to death. Even in like Halloween shows, they yeah. don't really do that. The last time we saw that amount of gun violence, uh, that explicit was in the scene in the McBain movie where he crashes Mendoza's party oh, and God. shoots everybody. Yes. <laughs> And then the follow-up to it that you have just through sound effects only, Homer being beaten, hit to death. I'm just going, oh. uh, Oh, I forgot. Uh, Ken had another line that I finally just got this time. He says, they're in Copter Chopper 6. Yeah, I did write that one down. (laughs) Copter Chopper 6. No Arnie Uh Pie. And the Too Many Grandmas, that is the type of movie Rodney Dangerfield would have been starring in in 1996, I gotta say. Like, it's he was he to look down on that movie. He still had, uh, I think Meet Wally Sparks would be early 97, which I never saw. Ladybugs was my last one, and even that, I was like, I'm too old for this, and now it's just a creepy movie to watch as an adult, but they they didn't know better then. Yeah, check out Nathan Rabin's column on that movie. It's very uh, disgusting. Not 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 because of Nathan, of course, no, but no. yeah. Uh, but the movie theater thing first. <laughs> that they say out loud that it's Aztec Theater, which that's just in my mind because Bob and me just went to the Universal Studios and got to see the giant Aztec Theater like landscape they have there, which is so cool. And they say it out loud, so that's more Simpsons geekery of mm-hmm. them going to the specific Aztec Theater. And uh, but also, I think they did it partially because Al Capone and Lee Harvey Oswald were caught in movie ah. theaters, and it feels like a reference ah. to that. I, you're probably right. Yeah, I never even uh, thought of that. That's that's my assumption, and that they that also the way they're caught, like this is some extreme burn stuff too. That Burns orders the police to shoot Homer, and they are just about to. Like, the, the negotiation has failed. Shoot him. <laughs> so, so cruel. But the uh, but here here is the uh, the happy ending. Don't be a fool, Simpson. Let the kid go. The negotiations have failed. Shoot him. <laughs> Wait. I mean, Homer's no kidnapper, but he's the best friend I ever had. We faked the whole thing. I should have known you're the only one stupid enough to kidnap you. Now get down here so I can spank you in front of this gawking rebel. Smithers, take off my belt. With pleasure, sir. Hold on, Mr. Burns. Maybe we did fake a kidnapping, but is that really such a crime? All your son wanted was a little attention, a little love. I'm a father myself, sir. And sure, sometimes my kids can be obnoxious or boring or stinky, but they can always count on one thing, their father's unconditional love. And that speech of Homer's erased any wrongdoing he did or any crimes committed. It's a very sitcom-y speech, which I think is why they have to, like, undercut it with the next moment. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's also cute that when Homer insults each of his children specifically, they all react to it with like, hey, like just the look on their face. Lisa got boring. <laughs> and, I like that she was chosen to be the boring one. And even Maggie recognizes he's, she's being yeah. smelly and like kind of furrows her brow like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another moment of the show rejecting sitcom tropes and being told like, so if Burns had just accepted like, 
I will be nice. We'd been fine if the next episode he forgot. Nobody would hold him to it. But this, instead, they even just rejected in the moment here. Mm -hmm. No lessons are learned. How about it, Pop? I know it's tough, but can you love me for what I am? (sighs) 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 There, there, Sonny Boy. I suppose I have been a bit... Oh, no, I can't do it. It's just not me. I'm sorry, Larry. I can't be the family that you need. Oh, that's okay. Well, I got a wife and kids. Oh, that reminds me. They're probably wondering where I went. I told them I'm going for coffee. That was a week ago. Nelson, <laughs> delighted to have met you. It's good to know that there's another kidney out there for me. Huh. You got it, Pop. Just let me run a few pints through it first. As long as everybody's here, let's party! Who's playing that music? Where's all that liquor coming from? <laughs> it's a party, Mark. Doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> I can I can see Larry's dancing in my head right now. Yes, mm-hmm. it's it's an amazing ending. It's a joke about how just spontaneous parties just happened in 80s movies back then. <laughs> but it is very specifically a Caddyshack mm-hmm. reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a Caddyshack scene where he's got the sound system in his golf bag. <laughs> yes. Actually, here, I'll play it right now. Ooh. What do you got in here, rocks? Are you kidding? When I was your age, I would lug 50 pounds of ice up five, six flights of stairs. So what? So what? So let's dance. That's <laughs> 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 so great. <laughs> but what I love about that scene watching it now is it is so obvious they didn't know what song was going to play. And you just feel so bad for... Rodney Dangerfield is just like, well, dance to something. We'll put a song in later. And so he's just like (laughs) dancing the same with his arms, moving his arms at the same time and then kicking one leg out just as Larry does in the scene. It's it's so awkward and amazing. (laughs) And then they just stick Journey over it, which one of the hottest bands in the world. I love Journey is great. Everybody loves Journey. They're one of the best karaoke bands, at least, uh, you know, for basic folks. But... I love them. Mm-hmm. I, and then this song, I any way you want it, is such a great song. I do like it. As a kid, I did not see Caddyshack or really know what they were referencing. I just appreciate it on the level of just a, like sort of absurdist ending where it's like we need, we need to end this so a party breaks out and everything's fine. That's how I read it and that's how I enjoyed it. But now, now that I know what it's referencing, I do like it a lot more. Well, and every character from the episode is there. Like the the the, the park ranger, people wearing mm-hmm. the apple hats on one of the dancers is the guy in the gorilla suit dancing. And the um, Admiral Carstairs is, is breakdancing. He's yes, spinning around. Right. Yeah, they're just all partying. And the, the, the looped animation of them partying at the end is so... Fantastic. I think we've used that to celebrate things for yes. our Patreon. Yeah, any final thoughts on this episode, Merritt? God, um, it was really fun. Like, you know, I don't watch The Simpsons much anymore, but um, this was like a really good opportunity to go back and see what for me is like a classic Simpsons episode. It's right in that sweet spot of when I was watching it like basically every week. 
And I remember watching this episode, maybe not in the first run, but definitely seeing it in reruns. And it's like just watching this perfect little uh, machine just like set in place and then run for 22 minutes. It's like really beautiful. And, you know, I have kind of a problem with um, and I guess this is getting more general than just this episode, if that's OK. Sure. Um, but I have a problem with like the ways that sitcoms have sort of changed format, especially with Netflix, where they're running half hour shows because there's no ads. And they're like, well, why not stretch it out to half an hour? And the answer is, well, because most of the time that's a bad idea. People know how to write for 22 minutes. And that's like kind of the format. And when you do that, the pacing really suffers. And so watching something like a classic Simpsons episode like this is like it's so tight. Like it's so it just it's like joke, 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 joke. And it kind of makes me miss that. Yeah. Yeah. I I know what you mean. I I was just thinking this recently with in a good way for the show Glow, because I'm just used to so many longer shows on Netflix that are just like, well, we could be 20 minutes to 40 minutes long if we feel like it. But in most episodes of Glow, except for the season finale, there's like it's 25 minutes. And when I'm watching Netflix with my husband, it's more just like oh, well, let's binge Glow because this is manageable. <laughs> or even mm-hmm. another great show that did that was even better was Agretzko, this recent anime, because mm, yes. they're 15 minutes long. And that made, that felt like zero minutes to <laughs> me. I was like, wow, 15 minutes? I'll be done with this easy. I have watched plenty of newer uh, Simpsons episodes and enjoyed them, but I feel like what really makes them suffer and what really feels like absolutely fundamentally wrong to me is that they are all now four acts. Mm-hmm. And the final Ooh. act is like 45 seconds and it just feel like it, it ruins like All it ruins the, the structure you're used to like yeah. the the third act structure that you love just to have a sort of tacked on joke to wrap everything up i do not like the four act structure but i wanted to ask Merritt, like what is your estimation of mr burns as a father yeah. given your experience in analyzing dads <laughs> i mean it seems pretty clear on the face of things that he is a, you know a classic absent bad dad um someone who you know, knocks someone up and then just sort of runs off to go fight in World War II. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, doesn't inquire, doesn't like, doesn't find out. And then when he does have the son show up, he's like, at first he's overjoyed. And then he's like, oh, this is the, he's not who I wanted him to be. Mm. Uh, and so I, I don't care for him. And, but I really like the last scene because it's not, I don't know, like Mr. Burns is, isn't written as being like, oh, you're a buffoon. I can't possibly. It's just like he says it's his problem, not Larry's. He's like, oh, it's just not me. I'm not I'm not a loving parental yeah. figure. Um, so like, I'm sorry, I just can't be that for you, which is like kind of interesting to me because I feel like they could have just ended it with him just being like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't I be the father to such a bore. I guess it doesn't matter who Larry is. Burns fundamentally can't love anyone. So generally, yeah. simply can't No, That's great. And, and it would be nice if, if uh, parental figures who can't love people at least said it outright. They're like, you know what? I can't. And, and that Larry also, he grew up without a parent his whole life. So he, and he, Seemingly turned out all right, and he's a father of his own. And one too. time he saw a blimp. <laughs> one time he saw yeah, actually, that line about going out for coffee was added by Roddy Dangerfield. And I just love how they, <laughs> they addressed that in the last 30 seconds. Like, that reminds me, I've got a family. <laughs> I, I love that, that so much. Ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Merritt, uh, we'll do our own plugs once we're off the line with you. Can you talk about where we can find your stuff and what the newest thing you've worked on is? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Merritt K. 
uh, two R's and two T's. And uh, there's stuff coming out every week at Verve. And there's stuff coming out every two weeks at Mel. And those links are in my bio on Twitter. And yeah, I mean, um, check out the podcast, Woodland Secrets. Uh, we have all kinds of really great guests. You know, we have had uh, Patrick Rothfuss. We've had people like J.B. Brammer, Charlotte Shane, all these like really amazing writers and people from Twitter that you've probably seen their tweets. And we get to just sit down and have like really open, fun conversations with them. It's kind of not a lot of podcasts I feel like are very like high energy news stuff or are just like a couple of uh, people just like making making jokes all the time which those are both great um but ours is sort of a little more subdued and people have told me that it's like listening in on, on a conversation between two friends which um except it's nice and like... legal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no exactly. uh, yes. another of my favorites uh of your i i think austin walker is a really great guest uh, oh he's great oh there. he's fantastic and the uh, last one of yours i i wanted to shout out to which was like just that you got the paul f Tompkins. like a podcast yes. isn't a podcast mm-hmm. until you yeah. get paul f Tompkins. we um, had him on dad <clears throat> feelings talking about luke skywalker in the last jedi and that was like that was a pretty high point of this year for me mm-hmm. um because you know he's incredible and getting to talk with him and i We'd never spoken before, um, but he was so gracious, like for him to, you know, just agree to be on this podcast sort of sight unseen. Um, and then we had this really great conversation about Luke Skywalker and our differing experiences as people who both grew up with the Star Wars films, but like 30 years apart. And uh, and you're Patreon supported too, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. So if you go over to, uh, you can just go to staymean.co slash support. That's uh, That'll just redirect you over to our Patreon. Yeah, so we don't run ads. Uh, we don't have any corporate sponsors. So we are uh, right now entirely listener supported and we like to give something back to to people who choose to help us out financially so we have bonus episodes which are often uh recurring guests and so if you're a fan of the show if you like these guests you want to hear more from them uh we have these bonus episodes that come out about once a month and uh we have one actually coming out pretty soon it may be out by the time this airs but uh, with uh, fan favorite Pat Gill of Polygon.com. Mm. So, yeah, check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Merritt. This was a great episode, and we will see you when we see you. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye. Yeah, so thank you again to Merritt for joining us. Make sure you check out all of her stuff. She's got a lot going on, and it's all very entertaining. As for us, we are supported by the Talking Simpsons Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, you can find out how to help the show. At the $5 level, you can get every episode of this show a week ahead of time and ad-free. You could be listening to next week's episode right now. That also goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we look at a different cartoon from a different series every week. If you subscribe to the Talking Simpsons Patreon, you get every episode of that a week ahead of time and ad-free as well. And at the $5 level, there is so much exclusive bonus content, including entire miniseries like Talking Critic and Talking Futurama and interviews and season wrap-ups and deleted scene specials and just uh, run like super out-of-nowhere bonus podcasts when we decide to do something cool for our patrons. Henry, what are the two most recent cool things people should check out on the Patreon to get them to give us their money? <laughs> well, at the, coming very soon is the recording of the live show that we did, which we haven't done at the time of this recording, but we'll be doing. And it's I'm gone sure well. Great. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, also, I uh, throw it back to all of our interviews. We have some really cool interviews coming down the line here that we're planning. But at current, you should check out our interview with Mike Reese, who we talked to him about his 30 years on The Simpsons and his new book, 
Springfield Confidential. So yes, that is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Even a dollar a month would help us out a lot. We are all fan-supported. We appreciate your support, and we try to do as much as we can for our fans out there. So thank you so much. Hell yeah! As for me, you can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. Please follow me there. And I have another podcast, by the way, if you haven't heard about it. It's Retronauts. I'm about to roll into my eighth year of doing Retronauts, so I've been doing it for quite some time. It's existed since 2006. I recommend you check it out if you go to retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in any podcast of you happen to have lying around you'll find it uh, i say pick a topic that interests you we've done like probably over 400 episodes over the past 10 years so i'm sure there's so- there's got to be something that you're interested in download that episode if you like the show subscribe to it or even support that patreon too at patreon.com slash retronauts i get a little bit of money out of that too but henry where can we find you you can follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g and uh, if you want to find out when new stuff gets posted on this patreon or on the free feeds i tweet about it there and also uh, any other news that happens in the world. You can follow me, H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. We will see you next week for Bart After Dark. Let's party!
You can stay, but I'm leaving. Yellow if they're using late season apples. And of course, in Canada, the whole thing's flip flop. Oh, my. I better get you some cider. <laughs>